Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I hope you are well this fine early morning. It is a fine, dark, early morning. And <laughs> that it is. Well, Advent is here, mm-hmm. and this is a season that actually, you know, growing up was was not, I mean, we had Advent calendars, and we did some little bit of, of Christmas is coming, those types of things, but... I never really knew it as a season of the church calendar and never really knew it to be uh, any any t- type of rhythmic activity for my family. Um, and so uh, I have grown to see some of the, the beauty of that. And I do like the idea of just aligning even my church family with the, I mean, my my own family with the church calendar. I think it's it's just that rhythmic element. Um and so I'm, I'm just curious as, as we are in this season of Advent, if you have any overall you know, advice of, of what to do with that season, particularly with your family or um, even just traditions that you think are, are valuable and meaningful as, as, as you build that with your family. Um, what, yeah, I'm curious what, what advice you may have. Well, it's a good question. We, we had at home growing up the Advent uh, wreath, the candles and, um, we would light those and get ready for Santa coming down the chimney. So it's quite a quite a combination there. But they weren't sure what the candles had to do. <laughs> so you hope they weren't on that that night when he comes down and kind of burn his bottom. <laughs> now I'm reminded of the good Anglican uh, Samuel Johnson, who said, "We more often need to be reminded than instructed." Mm-hmm. And uh, so it'd be good for a few moments just to remind ourselves. Uh, what did those who went before us understand? How did they understand Advent? And what mm-hmm. might we remember that would be helpful for us? Yeah. So, well, what's it? Start with why. Why Advent? Any ideas? I mean, just going off of um, what our our my personal church, you know, has has kind of pushed forward here. Um, yeah, Advent is a great season to look back and celebrate Christ's coming and also look forward to the second coming. And so it's a good season to prepare your, your heart in that, um, especially as we, we have Christmas upon us. Okay. And what is, what is preparation? He said, look back, what have you? Well, I think, you know, look, looking back would be, uh, reflecting on the story of Christ's coming. Um, and so that could be reading through that story. That could be, a number of, of things, but then, uh, well, yeah. So that's looking back. Is Christ came to this earth? How do we, um, how do we celebrate that? Mm-hmm. And, and then looking forward, obviously, we know Christ is coming again, and so it's also uh, a season to, um, to see that to see He came once, He's coming again, and we can we can celebrate both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that would be very much what, what uh, I'd say most people uh, feel. It's um, 
Yeah, and that's what I would have. I would have grown up with that too. I would. I would have thought, no, something to do with you know, preparing and uh, looking back and. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you can see it doesn't go very deep, does it? No. No. Why not? Uh, I, I mean, I, I think f- for me, that's just that's the extent of it. That's that's all I. I I know I, I process it as um, there's there's definitely you know it's it's actually funny you say that because even so our church for example they they they've done a good job of emphasizing the season and I like the idea of it but I don't I don't quite know how exactly that plays out or mm-hmm. or what to do and I'm you know when I think of our conversations and what it means to be embodied, you know, Advent has become, well, we, we read a different book to our children. And I've, it's funny you mentioned the wreath because the wreath has been, uh, kind of thrown out as an idea or an option to light this wreath. And I'm like, that sounds cool. There's an embodied element to that, I guess, a physical element to that. But I have no idea what that wreath, you know, like <laughs> I don't, I don't know the why behind mm-hmm. some of those pieces. So yeah, I don't know. Example, yeah. the three of the candles. There's four candles, and the first three we light are purple, and then the uh, last one is a, a rose colored, and <clears throat> yeah, most people are usually pink, and then most would go, yeah, right. That's, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty, right? It's Christmas. Yeah. One of our granddaughters said, I love it because it's one of my two favorite colors. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly yeah. just that. So so I, I think a lot of those are just evidence of it being not that deep. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm curious. And t- tell me why. Well, I'm not going to tell you why. There's a lot of great history there. It has to do with... Um, Actually, the easiest way to discover is to listen carefully when you go to church is how do they understand salvation? And so when if you were to talk to the average Christian, they'd say, yeah, hey, man, been saved? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. How would they, which is a good question. What must I do to be saved? Um, well, how would they say they understand salvation? Colloquially, how would they say it? You know, put your faith in Christ, pray and accept Jesus as your Savior. Mm-hmm. And what do you get for that? What do you, it's free, you, but what do, you, what do you get out of it? You get a big sticker that says, no. Well, uh, you don't get a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what, yeah, you, it, you get eternity. Oh, you get sure. To, you get to go to heaven. Right, yep. Like how Dallas Willard does said, he goes, uh, what God gets out of the deal is the sort of person we become. <laughs> but he would also say that's a very narrow, shrunken view of salvation. Sure. So, uh, but Willard wasn't original here. If you go back to prior to the Enlightenment and the great church traditions before then, before the 1600s, that go all the way back to uh, first century, there was always a view that... Uh, that we have been saved. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for grace you have have been saved, Uh, which is understood as being betrothed to Christ. That's Paul in 2 Corinthians. 
and that we are being saved. Ooh, there's a new one. And that, that actually then uh, plays a big role in how we will be saved or how much, believe it or not, we will be saved. And so when you have these three views, those three views are actually what's called a spousal or a bridal view of salvation. Why, why would they call it a bridal view of salvation? What well, I mean, they fit very well into what in modern day we call engagement, but that even that's not fully accurate. But I mean, you you said it, the betrothed, betrothal, the, that that imagery aligns perfectly with what it means to actually be married. Yes, that's a good way to put it. So here's a simple way, uh, listeners, dear listeners, to think about it. Uh, and actually, it, uh, it's what C.S. Lewis is driving at in his book, The Discarded Image, is that uh, prior to the 1800s, it was generally understood that the physical world is a reflection or an image of the uh, the physical and natural world is a reflection of the metaphysical or supernatural world, the spiritual, the immaterial world, and that God pervades the physical world. He oozes through it, and these are depictions of that which is invisible. They could actually sometimes be manifested in very mysterious and mystical ways. But when you, therefore, God ordained that marriage used to be three phases. It was betrothal. Remember, Mary was actually called, uh, she was married to Joseph. Joseph called her husband. And they were living apart. Because it was first you had the pronouncement, then you had the preparation of a year. Mary was preparing a place for them to abide, and Joseph was preparing a place, and they're both preparing themselves, partly by remaining pure toward one another. And then there was presentation. So you have pronouncement, preparation, and then presentation. That's all of these parables that haunt or ought to haunt us of a, of a bridegroom coming and a bride not prepared. No oil in the lamp. Give me your oil quickly. Friend, I cannot give you my oil. I will not have enough for my own. The bridegroom comes and says, what are you doing? Why are you not prepared? Even stories of being uh, thrown into the outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, so on and so forth. Well, weeping and gnashing of teeth ought to be be sobering. There, Pat, is the key. You have in the midst of preparing actually instances where it is just very sobering how unprepared people are. Lent is a season of preparation and penitence for the two great high holidays in the church, Christmas and Easter. So you had Advent and Lent. Now I said penitence. What's penitence mean? I'm probably going to butcher it, but isn't penitence 
reflection, uh, reflecting, confessing, you know, turning. Yeah, that's right. You know, purifying Just, your, your, your There heart. you go. Put an RE in front of it and you, there you go. Right. So if you keep being penitent, you are repenting. Penitent. Yeah. So preparation and penitence, you could even put it this way, penitence in order to prepare. So if someone were to say, and here, for example, we still see um, vestiges of that, even though people, uh, good Jews still hold to this view of, uh, of uh, marriage. But uh, we hardly do. But you just still see preparation. And here's a simple way. Uh, so 62% uh, of brides-to-be and 60% of grooms in preparation for their wedding day do what? Try to lose weight. There you go. On average, brides, it's 20 pounds. Wow. And uh, men, it's a little less than that, but that's because men are vain. Um, <laughs> should be trying to gain. I don't know what you're doing. That's right. So, And the losing <laughs> weight requires repenting of bad habits, as repudiating them. That's called penitence, which is very difficult. In fact, survey show only 18% of brides hit their target weight by that day. Uh, men do, don't do much better. So you see what you can see physically, bodily, preparing your body. And again, um, you're aligning that you're aligning that with penitence, which is the season of Lent. That I that's that right. I okay, because you have to uh, to lose weight. You have to penitence means you abstain. It's generally the spiritual disciplines, half of which you are abstaining. So you abstain from. Well, look at Lent. You used to be you abstain from chocolate and dessert. Sure. Yeah, and um, so once we understand, um, well, I mean, let me real play the film one more time. That's why he says a bridal view of salvation is salvation used to be understood and is still understood by two thirds of the worldwide church as we have been saved, but what, what, what Augustine called the marital bed of the cross. And so when we are saved, we are betrothed. And hence, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, who was a messed up, they're a messed up church, and says, and he laments because I betrothed you to Christ that I might, keyword might, present you as a pure virgin to your husband, Jesus. At that point in their history, the Corinthian church was not ready to be presented. They were not preparing their bodies to be presented. Mm -hmm. If you think, well, I never heard this before. Well, practice of Lent, for example, dates from the decrees of the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And about 240 years later, the Council of Tours established Advent for the same reason as Lent. So it was a time of four weeks 
of sobriety, the sober, very similar to the sober realization of a man getting ready to be married and looks in the mirror and says, I got a beer gut. I got to lose that thing by, by my wedding day. That's mostly why guys got to lose weight. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So you're, you're actually saying Advent, the season of Advent is not far from the season of Lent in its purpose. They're identical. See, that's because you have, again, two high holidays in the liturgical calendar. This is again, why history time in, in, in the earlier church traditions or older church traditions is simply an image of eternity and eternity has no time. And so the best way to depict that is to depict time as really having no beginning or end here. A clock does that. It's just, where does it start? Well, starts at 12 why does it start at one well, it actually it never it, it gives a view that time is spherical and so the seasons even keep returning back to where they started clocks do that and the church calendar does that and it has two high holidays every year easter and christmas those both depict in a sense the wedding day because Easter, betrothal, the marriage bed of the cross. Christmas, the the incarnation, the word made flesh to come to marry us, which would have happened whether we were sinners or not. So you could almost say the highest of the high holidays, if you want to, I don't know, traditions would, would be what we call Christmas. Because Jesus would not be coming to die for our sins if we had never sinned. He'd be coming to be be generated, that's literally the word there, as a man to marry us, his bride. Now what yeah. that what that suggests though, or what that requires, especially now that especially that we are by, by nature sinful, is penitence and preparation. And so the Advent calendar has two colors. Three, three of the candles are purple, and that symbolizes penitence. And it calls for worship music in minor keys, quieter services, reflective. Uh, in the church where uh, we worship, for example, there is not a triumphal procession as you have most Sundays, but rather there were three processions led by the cross, simpler garb by the priest, but three processions around the church in which we, after singing a more quiet hymn, had several, we had a cantor who was chanting prayers and our response would be, Lord have mercy on us. Lord have mercy on us. Lord have mercy on us. When we also had the recessional, where one of the clergy often says, thanks be to God, hallelujah, hallelujah, that's our response. Um, In a Advent or Lent, you hear, thanks be to God. No hallelujahs. 
It's really, um, it's, it's actually, in even in these traditions, the understanding of Advent really has been in decline for a long time. Um, by the way, the, the third Advent candle is pink. It's a rose. As you know, a rose <clears throat> is to depict a rose or a rose color because uh, Mary is often depicted by roses. And uh, as she, as a rose opens, the bride opens her body to her husband. And it represents a shift in the season of Advent away from preparation, uh, penitence toward preparation for the wedding celebration. Hmm. So three weeks of penitence, one week of preparation. Wow. It aligns with the weeks. I, I did not know that. That's the, the, the church liturgy you were just explaining is beautiful. I'm curious how many, you, you know the meaning of all of that. So as you're sitting in the service, um, you, you get to experience that and mm-hmm. reflect on that. That's yeah, uh, very is moving. That, is that common knowledge, particularly thinking of your church? I mean, I know in thicker liturgical services, many, many who have grown up there probably have no idea those things connect to the, yeah. the higher plane. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I give credit to uh, the, our rector. He, uh, when he first came a couple of years ago, I said, uh, well, I'll tell you what, it'd be great during the service if just a little comment here and there about here's why we wear these robes this morning. Thank you for being here. And sort of like, and here we go. Mm-hmm. Here's why we do this. And Sure enough, this past Sunday, he said, uh, welcome. We're now in the Advent, and she'll notice uh, my robes are different, and here's what they depict. Mm. Thank you for being here. Yeah, and it's, I would imagine, the most known pet. So uh, yeah. it's, uh, it, at least it, it is um, practiced, but I grew up in such a church, and I didn't know uh, any of these things, why yeah. we did incense and so on and so forth. So it's a good point. So... I'm I'm reminded of my my daughter is in swim lessons and mm-hmm. she goes she she for a period there she was going to those lessons and you could just see the eyes kind of glossed over a little bit the instructor wants her to put her face in the water she doesn't want to put her face in the water I'm sure in her head she's going why am I putting my face in the water <laughs> <laughs> any natural man I don't want to you know I like to breathe why are you you know why do we have to do this and week after week it started to be you know it just wasn't she, she didn't look like she was having fun and fortunately the opportunity opened up for me to go and just swim with her and we we my goal was just to have fun and we had fun together and that included me going underwater and she eventually wanted to join me and so we worked on going underwater so she could swim with me and she fell in love and her swim lessons were never the same I mean she is killing it because she loves to put her head in the water she loves to hold her breath even her her instructor last time was like she has great breath control you know and it's just like yeah because she she loves it and at home in the bathtub she's wearing her goggles putting her head underwater <laughs> so it makes me think i mean again i think how many grew up in church who just sat in and had these boring lessons of i don't know why they're telling me to put my head underwater i don't know why they're 
you know, wearing this robe. And so we can explain that. I, c- I could have a conversation with my daughter about all the reasons that her swim lessons are helpful for her. But instead, I can help her grow in her desire to enjoy swimming. And so I'm just curious, like, how do we, how do I connect that to Advent? How, what can I do with my children as they're growing up, you know, in, in thick liturgical services or not, not, how do I, how do I help them connect the deeper? Why do you have any recommendations or things, you know, habits, traditions that you think help begin to instill that? Well, for the children, um, I would say introduce them to why you have these two different colors and why uh, three purple and you just say, you know, purple is just to remind us that with many times we don't do what we ought to do. You know, we fight with people where we could be selfish and this is our opportunity to confess those things to the Lord. And, and then actually uh, think about it. You know, uh, we taught our kids confession, confession versus uh, saying you're sorry. Yeah. And um, so that's one thing. And then that reminds me then for adults, um, if you're an adult listening to this, <laughs> would be uh, begin to practice the, actually the uh, disciplines of abstinence. And uh, that includes silence, solitude, fasting, confession, Again, we've talked about this, Pat, but I can count on one hand, I think, anyway, the number of people I believe actually practice confession. Dead giveaway is when someone's called and says, hey, Mike, sorry I said that. really feel bad about it. I'll wait. Hmm. That's that's not confession. So you make a great point, Pat, that we're so far away in many cases from the historic faith that... If you don't have a habit of silence, solitude, fasting, that's why Lent includes fasting, and, and the confession, then the penitential feel of Lent and Advent will be lost on us. It just, so you see colored candles and go, I, I don't know, what happened to, uh, I will say one, another dead giveaway, and I saw this once in a church, uh, Lent, the very first song that Sunday, by the big band up there was a rousing rendition of Jesus Christ is risen today. And I said afterward to the minister, who's a good man, I said, uh, have, that was an unusual song for Lent. I mean, wouldn't you say? And he said, what do you mean? Well, mm-hmm. I let it go. Jesus, <laughs> it's four weeks, it's four weeks till we celebrate he's risen. <clears throat> this mm-hmm. is the time of, so these are just some these notions. Many of them are just so far away. I'd start yeah. small. Here's why the candles, kids. And if you're adult, this is a good time to practice three, or actually four, spiritual disciplines until they become second nature: silence, solitude, fasting, confession. And by the way, here's a plug. I don't care what version of the lectionary you read. But if you read it, you'll be go through the Bible every three years. You'll notice how penitential and somber and sober the passages are in Lent, in Advent. Hmm. 
That's helpful. That's helpful. Well, good. We want to be helpful. And I mean, we'll close with this. I remember many years ago that uh, the first time I was over out in Denver, and I looked up at Long's Peak, which uh, eventually I would climb. And I remember thinking, you know, when you're at 5,200 feet, 5,280 elevation, looking up at a 14,000 foot mountain peak, it's still pretty, it's impressive, but I thought, no, I'll tell you what, if you were at sea level and you looked up at a 14,000 foot, our problem is when Lent and Advent isn't a time when you really, you sort of, that's where we get in touch with Scumbart, sometimes our highly elevated view of ourselves and how we're doing. You go back to sea level. Then when you look at the cross or the manger scene and celebrate Christ, it's far more exalted because you go, whew. But for a lot of us, it's just like, a, it's like climbing a little hill. Yeah, I got saved a couple of years ago and been great, you know, beats hell. And, uh, but the, see, that's a view of, I've been saved. So I, I am saved versus I was saved, betrothed. I got a lot of work to prepare because I want to be presented to our bride, our, our, our bridegroom, our husband, Jesus, as a pure virgin. And when I see that lofty view, I got a long way to go. Mm-hmm.